Hello and welcome to the final episode of You Heard It Here First, Series 3. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and in today's episode, we're reminiscing about our embarrassing family holidays with our parents. And things get a bit dramatic as we raid the Audible Theatre for this week's Hidden Gem. Plus, our guest author has some surprising news in store too. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now I'm going to dive straight into your reviews of the audiobooks that have been making some noise in the bestsellers list. Me being the nosy Parker that I am, I love finding out what audiobooks you have been raving about. So this week I've chosen Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. First up, we have Gabriella who left this sparkling five-star review. As brilliant as ever, both the story and narration... As always with Leanne Moriarty's books, you are taken on an extraordinary journey. Nothing is straightforward, nothing is obvious or what it seems at first glance. The narration from Carolyn Lee is flawless and nothing short of excellent. Honestly, Leanne's books are a kind of soul food. Should be available from your GP. Luckily, it is available in the shops. That was lovely. Now we have another one from Bex who gave it four stars. A solid offering from the sublime Leanne, marred only by the somewhat clumsy shoehorning of the pandemic at the end. I'd rather hear the escapism of a parallel dimension where we weren't living through it. The narration is, as always, brilliant. Thank you to Gabriella and Bex for those reviews. If you're looking for a thrilling listen that takes you on a bumpy journey, you can find Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty on the Audible website now. Thank you to everyone whose reviews were featured this series. I hope you enjoyed them just as much as we did. So summer didn't exactly deliver the heat. But if you're like me, you might be thinking about getting away for some winter sun. So for this week's featured new release, I've chosen How to Survive Family Holidays by Jack Whitehall to get me in the mood. Now, I have mixed feelings about Jack Whitehall. He's definitely a comedian I loathe to admit I find funny. But this book, hmm, when I say this book made me laugh, I mean it literally made me laugh out loud. It's a hilarious guide on how to survive your family holidays and is a memoir of very funny flashbacks of Jack and his family's escapades abroad. He even gets a bit of help from his parents, Michael and Hilary, who come and record their written parts and then some. And I'm going to say it, I think they might be even funnier than Jack. Jack and his dad, Michael, aren't strangers when it comes to working together. You may already know their hit Netflix series called Travels With My Father, where we get to see the pair's nightmare travelling in action. Oh, and if you're a fan of the show, don't worry, Winston the Doll does get featured regularly. Rather than giving proper advice, Jack writes more about learning from their mistakes and advises doing the exact opposite to the Whitehall family holidays. Each chapter is broken down into actionable steps of things you should be aware of and prepare for while on holiday. Like, for example, the no friends policy, as there's nothing worse than your friend catching your mum topless on the beach. We get the highs and lows, do's and don'ts, and some very funny anecdotes that will feel extremely familiar for some. 
such as being scammed by the villa pictures you saw online and finding out it's a total dump. Then there are the embarrassing gap year stories, dad's loving to barter, and my favourite bit was hearing Jack and his mum squabble about the almighty fanny pack. Let's have a listen. Why now, while abroad, are we suddenly desperate to put our valuables in a garish zip-up pouch and have them dangle from our midriff like a nylon udder? It makes you immediately identifiable as a tourist. All the locals know how to spot the holidaymakers. They're the ones who look as though their valuables have just prolapsed out of them. There is some flimsy argument doing the rounds that the fanny pack has some kind of safety function. Having your valuables hovering above your crotch is a more thief-proof option, as no mugger would want to go through the social awkwardness of having to rip it off from your nether regions. In the interest of balance, and so we don't get too many complaints from the International Society of Fanny Packers, my mother wanted to add this. I feel it's incumbent upon me, as a result of Jack's vociferous trashing of the fanny pack, to mount a robust defence of not just one of my holiday essentials, but to my mind, one of the world's most valuable inventions. I just love these off-the-cuff moments which are peppered throughout the book. We don't just hear about trips abroad, but also the classic British holiday, such as camping trips to Cornwall, and the drive being somewhat a challenge with children in the car. Michael, Jack's dad, being born in the 1940s, tells us about his classic seaside holidays to Ramsgate and how boarding houses are a lot different to a bed and breakfast we know today. The Christmas chapters were particularly funny as you get a glimpse of their seasonal traditions and the huge stress of the event that I think is relatable to everyone. I especially love that Hilary buys and wraps up Christmas presents for herself and claims it's from the dog which, of course, is the subject of much ridicule from the family. The book really benefits from being narrated as we get to hear Jack and his parents' silly banter throughout the chapters, commenting on each other's written memoirs and all of them remembering the events very differently. It made you feel like you were in on the joke and I loved laughing with them. The audiobook also comes with a PDF file so you can see a few of their holiday snaps, some of Jack as a child and others from behind the scenes of their TV show. Right at the end, there is a B-roll chapter of audio that didn't make the cut, which was hilarious and a nice touch to end on. So if you're looking for a book that is laugh out loud funny and you're a fan of the Whitehalls, this is the one for you. You can find How to Survive Family Holidays by Jack Whitehall on the Audible app today. We've come to that time of the show where we flick through what's looking good on the Audible website. To finish up this series, I thought it would be great to add some culture to the mix. So, we're heading to the Audible Theatre this week and reviewing Reasons You Shouldn't Love Me by Amy Trigg. Amy Trigg is the winner of the Women's Prize for Playwriting in 2020, and Reasons You Shouldn't Love Me is her amazing debut play and honestly... It's brilliant. The play is about 23-year-old Juno who was born with spina bifida and is wheelchair-bound as a result. So we follow Juno as she navigates friendships, sex, relationships, and of course, the unwanted attention of the public. For example, there's one rather unfortunate anecdote with Juno and some religious street healers that is equal parts funny and tragic. Let's have a listen. Months later, Mel and I were on our way home from school when a group of humans stopped us. They offered to heal me. 
and I wasn't in a rush, so I was like, sure. Suddenly, there were hands very respectfully placed on my body. They started mumbling, then chanting, and then speaking in unison. I tried to guess whether they rehearsed with a script or if it was more of a devised project. A few minutes later, I was told by a younger man in the group to get up and walk. Bit of background, I could walk a little bit when I was younger. It actually wasn't until I was eight that I started using a wheelchair and it was a few years after that when walking became a total thing of the past. So, when I was sat in that car park being healed by strangers, I was wearing leg splints and could still manage a few steps. The question is, Should I have gone into more detail about my diagnosis before the prayer session? As you can hear, the play is far from morose. Comedic elements are thrown into the mix to lighten the mood. I found myself crying with laughter at how similar we were as she gushes about her school crushes. Juno is an intriguing character. She's from Essex and is working class, so for anyone from a similar background, she is quite relatable and easy to like. What I loved about how Amy wrote her character is that you don't feel pity for Juno. She feels well-rounded and human. Her spina bifida and wheelchair present some obstacles in her life, but she's still got an active sex life with an unlikable character called Dan and a supportive group of friends around her. So it could completely subvert some people's expectations about disabled lives. Don't get me wrong, there is an overarching theme of loneliness and the feeling of being broken which Amy hasn't shied away from, and it's painful and uncomfortable to listen to. But with that discomfort comes a new perspective and an understanding of a way of life I wasn't privy to before. The writer, Amy Trigg, was born with spina bifida, and for as long as she could remember, she wanted to be a performer. But she never saw any actors on stage in a wheelchair. However, she didn't let that stop her from pursuing her dream. In fact, she's now a highly decorated actor and an award-winning writer. Using her talent, she is able to seamlessly draw on her own personal experiences and responses, which makes for an even more powerful and tender listen. As it's a one-woman show, Amy is the sole actor we hear in the play, and she does this brilliantly. She plays all the characters beautifully. It's easy to differentiate between the different characters, especially her best friend Simon, who ironically sounds a bit like Simon from The Inbetweeners. But there's also Mel and Kev who make regular appearances in the play and give us a great sense of atmosphere. The production is excellent and the sound design really helps keep the pace and moves us through the different scenes with ease. You'll never feel lost in this play. Also, it clocks in at just under 90 minutes, so it works well for a lengthy commute or a weekend bike ride. So, that's Reasons You Shouldn't Love Me by Amy Trigg. You can get it on Audible now, along with other marvellous theatre selections. Next up are two brilliant guests who want to recommend a listen that will definitely get you talking. First up is Audible editor Gabe Fleming. Hey, Gabe. Hi, Emriel. Welcome back to the podcast. Can you briefly remind us what you do at Audible? Thank you. Always lovely to be here. I currently work on product marketing at Audible. What have you chosen for us today? I have chosen Vaccine, How the Breakthrough of a Generation Fought COVID-19 by Joe Miller, Uga Sahin and Oslem Turecki. That sounds like a really big book. What's that all about? (laughs) It's a big book. 
<laughs> it's a book about people basically saving the world. It's a genuine, brilliant book. I was really pleasantly surprised at how entertaining it was. I knew it would probably be very informative, almost definitely quite inspiring, because how can saving the world not be? But I wasn't expecting to have such kind of gripping narrative arcs. And obviously, you know, you, you, you know the end, you know that the vaccine worked. So it, there's no surprises in there. But the way the story unfolds and the way these people kind of through a, a mix of genius and sort of lucky positioning ended up in a position to lead the world to solve this huge crisis or certainly to go some like take some big steps towards solving it is is just incredible. What is it about the title vaccine that you're like, oh, yes, I want to read that because I think most people probably wouldn't be drawn to this particular subject matter. Yeah, I, I guess the chance to hear it as a singular story with a beginning and end and kind of summarised in an interesting way. I mean, I think most people have probably been through a journey, I certainly have, of, you know, since March last year, watching the news every day, you know, I find myself unable to just watch the repeated updates as much yeah. as I used to. And I just wanted something that took it as a narrative from beginning to end, really to improve my understanding of some of the things that haven't been covered as well, which is exactly what it does. Yeah, I agree. I think quite early on, you get quite a good foundation in the science that informed the development of the vaccine. And because there's so much misinformation and theories and ideas and people's general confusion around how a vaccine can be developed so quickly and the distrust around that, it's quite nice to have something that actually just feels quite grounded in facts and just plain English. And like you say, the narrative, it just all makes sense and comes together quite seamlessly. It really does. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the science bit is, is interesting because in my experience, that's not done that well that often in terms of telling a, a heavily scientific story to non-scientific people mm. and, and, and keeping it interesting and keeping them gripped. And I feel now I, I could explain the kind of underlying scientific principles of how this vaccine is different from the normal pathway to making vaccines. And it's mind-boggling that they can get cells and do the work of establishing what it is and then effectively writing a, a bespoke medication to treat this specific person. And all of this happens in the human body. And I just, partly because I'm so scientifically ignorant, I just find that mind-boggling and a really good listen, a really compelling listen. Wonderful stuff. Is there a moment in the book that just hooked you in and you knew that you were in for like a really good ride with this? I really like the way they've decided to do this, to tell it. You know, it, it's not telling both sides of the story. It's telling their story. I mean, they're named. It, it's obviously it's by Joe Miller and it's about Ugo and Oslim and then and they're named, you know, they're given bylines as authors. To answer your question, what hooked me in was the human side of it and it's told from a human perspective and a quite, quite um, heart-wrenching perspective at the same time. Let's go to a clip where we meet Ugo and Oslim for the first time. For the first time in weeks, Ugo Zahin's calendar was clear. It was a Friday morning, and the two-bedroom apartment he shared with his wife, Özlem Turici, and their teenage daughter was unusually empty. Ugo's inbox was overflowing, and he had barely begun to look through submissions from his PhD students when Özlem and their daughter, back from work and school, popped their heads around the door to remind him that it was 4pm. Disdain for time-wasting was one of the many traits Ugo shared with Özlem whom he'd met almost thirty years earlier on rotation at a cancer ward. He was a young physician. She was in her final year at med school. The couple, now partners in science, business and life, had never owned a TV and stayed off social media, 
relying instead on select online publications they considered worthy of their attention. Who do you think would be listening to this book? Is there a type of person that would be more drawn to this book than, say, anyone else? I mean, I think it's definitely one for non-fiction fans. Um, Politics fans, I think, it's by nature something like this is heavily political. I think one of the interesting like kind of themes of it is Ugar and Oslem and their sort of apoliticalness, their refusal to get involved in politics and maintain a kind of like purist medical ideology that doesn't that doesn't lean either way on politics and refuses to do so. And that that bumps up against some really interesting things and just all the madness that entails as something a big political like the US election event looms and suddenly you've got all these different players trying to achieve all these different things that are not trying to make a vaccine. So I think definitely non-fiction fans, definitely politics fans. But I'd also recommend it to a broader audience. This is this is pop non-fiction done brilliantly, which is quite a hard thing to achieve in that it is such a page turner. It's so, it's so impossible to press that pause button. So I, I would definitely recommend people giving it a go if it's you know a genre you're curious about but haven't tried much. So the book is based on 90 hours of exclusive interviews with biotech scientists. What was the main thing that you learned from listening to this? What mRNA is and, and, and what it does at an incredibly basic, non-scientific level. But yeah, the, they're not only creating a vaccine, which is amazing in itself, but really they're creating a whole new way of tackling this area of medicine. It's revolutionary. You know, it's like a, it's a, it, it, if they were a car company, these are like flying cars. It's not just a really cool new car. It, it, it's something entirely new they're doing. And I think that alone is a, is a great reason to download this audiobook. Amazing. Thank you so much, Gabe. No problem. Pleasure to talk to you. Vaccine by Joe Miller, Uga Shaheen and Oslam Tereji was Gabe's pick this week. You can find it on Audible. And now, looking to impress with their pick is special guest author and care advocate, Kirsty Capes. Hi, Kirsty. Welcome to the podcast. Can you briefly tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So my name is Kirsty Capes and I'm an author. My debut novel is called Careless and it was published in May. Wonderful. Actually, we reviewed Careless with Natalie Morris very early on in the series. So it's quite nice that you're here at the final episode to talk about something that you've been loving and also a little bit about Careless as well. Can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? Who's it by? What's it about? Tell me everything. Yes. So the book that I have chosen is called The Five and it's by Hallie Rubenhold. So Hallie Rubenhold is a historian and her book The Five is about the five canonical victims of Jack the Ripper. Her sort of argument is that these five victims at the time that the murders were happening in Mm. sort of like the late 1800s, the focus of the press and of sort of like the public consciousness was around Jack the Ripper himself and then also about the perceived status of these five women as sex workers. Um, And there wasn't really much interrogation of their lives or, you know, their families. And what Rubenhold is saying with this book is she sort of contests the assertion that they were all sex workers to start with. And it's just really interesting in terms of telling the stories of these really interesting women, but also 
I'm fascinated with the Victorian period generally. And it's just really wonderful to get an opportunity to go have a really interrogative deep dive into that period of history. (laughs) Yeah, immediately I found myself quite hooked because Jack the Ripper is like this massive, massive story. And often, like you said, it's told with kind of him being the centre of the story as opposed to the victims who, as you say, have always been regarded as sex workers. I've literally never heard an alternative Mm. to that in this moment that we're living in. It's so important to actually really interrogate who those victims are, who are these women who lived lives, and even if they were sex workers, in a modern day retelling, like, and? Yeah. Which of the five victim stories did you find the most intriguing or even surprising? So I think the one I found most intriguing, and I think it's because I did not realise this at all until I read this book, um, Elizabeth Stride, who I think was, I want to say she was the third victim. She actually grew up, I think, in Sweden. Oh, wow. She was kind of born in a sort of farming community. Her family were farmers. And she ended up working in Sweden as kind of like a maidservant. She ended up on a sort of downward trajectory and eventually she ended up in London. I'd sort of had this impression that they were all kind of East London born and bred. Yeah. But it's same. it's not the case at all. So when the chapter started and we were in Sweden, I was like, what? what? Where's this come from? <laughs> Is this the same book? <laughs> um, speaking of subverted expectations, was there a moment in the book that stood out to you or just had you hooked from the very beginning? I think... I was hooked from the very beginning because I think that what Rubenhold does that's really interesting is in the very opening of the book, she opens by talking about the Golden Jubilee of Queen Victoria, which I think happened in 1887. And then the murders happened 1888. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about the pageantry and the opulence and the richness of the Jubilee celebrations And then at the same time, there was this extreme, horrifying poverty going on. The disparity of class during this time was just so, so wide. Well, I was going to say it's so far removed from what, you know, from our time now, but actually I'm I'm not sure if if it is. No, I don't think it is either. (laughs) As you were describing it, I'm like, this sounds... Yeah, kind of like yeah. what Trafalgar Square is a little bit like now. Yeah, the sort of extreme wealth rubbing up against extreme poverty in a, in very sort of tight geographical spaces. So actually, maybe that is what what draws me to it. Brilliant. Let's hear a clip. That jubilee summer had been an exceptionally warm and rainless one. The clear blue skies that presided over the season's carefree picnics and alfresco parties had shriveled the fruit harvest and dried out the fields. Water shortages and an absence of seasonal agricultural labouring jobs only served to exacerbate an already growing employment crisis. While the wealthy enjoyed the fine weather from beneath their parasols and from under the trees of their suburban villas, the homeless and poor made use of it by creating an open-air encampment in Trafalgar Square. With no money for lodgings, they slept rough in the nearby square, where they were joined by an increasing population of unemployed and homeless workers who would rather turn to the street than face the deplorable and demeaning conditions in the workhouse. Amazing. I'd love to talk about your book, 
or books, should I say. We actually had the pleasure of hearing all about Careless in episode two. So in case you missed it, please go and check that out. But can you just remind us what it's about? Yes, I can do. And I did listen to that episode as well. It was such a lovely surprise. So Careless is about a 15-year-old called Bess. She is in foster care. She lives in a suburb just outside of London with her foster family. And she finds out that she is pregnant. And the story is basically about what she wants to do about this pregnancy. And the book kind of follows her as she makes this decision about, you know, her future. And the story kind of also revolves around her different relationships with um, the people in her life and how they inform her decision. So there's her foster parents, Lisa and Rory, who she has a really quite difficult relationship with. Um, She's also got this on again, off again boyfriend called Boy. And then there's also her best friend, Ishao, who I think is probably the other most important person in the book. Amazing. And I hear that there might be another book project in the works. So can you share anything at all with us about that? Yeah, so I mean, I can't share much. But yes, I've got another book coming out next year in July. And it is a little bit different from Careless. It's about a girl called Lucy, who is in her mid 20s. And she finds out that she's adopted. So there's still a theme of care experience um, Mm -hmm. in the book. And when she finds out that she's adopted, her life kind of just starts falling apart. So her job, her friendships, her romantic relationships, it all kind of disintegrates. And the the story is basically about how she pulls her life back together after finding out this huge piece of news. Sounds amazing. Can't wait to learn more about it as and when it gets revealed. Thank you so much, Kirsty. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. You can find The Five by Hallie Rubenhold on Audible, along with Kirsty's debut book, Careless. Now we've come to that part of the show where we get to hear from our travelling companion, Audible Sessions, where Audible invites some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases. And this week, I've chosen a clip from Catherine Ryan's Audible Session. Catherine Ryan is a Canadian comedian, writer, presenter and actress who is based in the UK. She has appeared on shows like 8 Out of 10 Cats and stars in her own Netflix sitcom called The Duchess. Holly Newson talks to Catherine about her memoir titled The Audacity that shows you how to live an audacious life. She talks about her many pets and auditioning for Sean Paul's music video. Let's have a listen. In that rehearsal space, there was a notice for casting to be in a Sean Paul music video. And in a disgusting display of white privilege, I felt like I could be in a Sean Paul music video. I I always went around life being like, me, I'll try that. Why not me? Which is good (laughs) until you find yourself with your flatmate in a hotel conference room dancing for eight bewildered men around a table. And I stood and I danced badly when all the other dancers in line were like dance hall, you know, like Jamaican print, amazing, totally qualified for this music video. I looked like I was an extra from Toddlers and Tiaras, just lost. And I was not cast, but I still don't regret going for it. It made me more brave for other 
obstacles and challenges that I would face in my life. And I get to tell my daughter now when Sean Paul comes on the radio in the car, I go, well, I was nearly in a Sean Paul music video. She goes, you were? And I was like, yeah. And I was nearly, I was more nearly in a Sean Paul music video than someone who didn't audition. So that was totally unexpected and random. Uh, Catherine Ryan is, of course, a very funny woman. So I'm not entirely surprised that this was a life event that she experienced. And I guess she is technically right. She is much closer to being in a Sean Paul video than, say, I ever was. So fair play to her. You can get more from Catherine Ryan by downloading her full Audible session for free on the Audible website, where you can also find her memoir titled The Audacity. And finally, it's time for our Listener's Corner, which means I get to hear from one of you about a book, podcast or drama you are loving. We are transported to a far away, dusty planet with this week's recommendation from Luke. Let's hear what he's picked. My name is Luke and I've just finished listening to June by Frank Herbert, narrated wonderfully by Simon Vance. The story follows Paul Atreides and his family as they are given control of the planet Arrakis. This sand planet is the most important planet in the galaxy for its natural resource called Spice, and this has far-reaching consequences for Paul and his family. The book is not your typical light-versus-dark multi-planet epic, nor is it just the pure politics of something like Game of Thrones. Rather, it blends ideas about religious doctrine over thousands of years and what it means to be a messiah. It develops the culture of the Fremen, who are the indigenous people of Arrakis, and what colonisation of their planet means for them. It truly is a one-of-a-kind sci-fi novel brought to life by the awesome narration and one of the most exciting and thoughtful books I've ever read. Thank you, Luke. What a brilliant and timely pick. I cannot wait to see this film too. As a thank you, we're sending you two credits to download anything you like from the Audible website or app. You can find Luke's recommendation, Dune, by Frank Herbert on Audible today. And for your chance to win some credits, why not send us a review too? Just send us a short message telling us about your favourite listen and you might get featured here. Record a voice note on your phone or send us your thoughts and I'll read them out. Email your reviews or voice notes to us at yhihf at audible.co.uk. Or you can now tweet us at yhihfpod, but don't forget to keep your reviews spoiler free. And sadly, that's all for this series of You Heard It Here First. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed making it. In case you missed any of the titles we recommended today, here they are again. Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. How to Survive Family Holidays by Jack Whitehall. Reasons You Shouldn't Love Me by Amy Trigg. Vaccine by Joe Miller, Uga Shaheen and Oslam Tereji. The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. Careless by Kirsty Capes. Catherine Ryan's Audible Session. And Dune by Frank Herbert. Remember to catch up with us in between shows on social media. Let us know what you've been listening to and tag at YHIHFpod on Instagram and Twitter. And while you're there, give us a follow too. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan. Additional voices by Lazara Morgan and Amber Miller. And featuring Gabe Fleming and Kirsty Capes. It was produced by Amber Miller and Ellie Clifford. 
Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto.